first eight verses there. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, to all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Boy, then that's just loaded. That statement right there is loaded. There is many infallible proofs to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There may not be a more, uh, a more proven historical fact than the resurrection of Christ. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the, of the Father. You see there, your translation ought to have that promise with a capital P. Okay, So it wasn't just a, a, a word. The promise is, that means it's a person. He's speaking there of the Holy Spirit of God, waiting for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Isn't it interesting that the disciples, even at this point, they do not yet fully understand what Christ had done for them and what he was doing. They didn't understand even at this point. Are you bringing in the kingdom? Are you? And their idea of the kingdom was restoring Israel to its power, its prominence. And they're thinking we're going to sit there with a position of power because here, we're here with the Lord. They're, they're still thinking little K, kingdom. The kingdom of God with a little K, not kingdom of God with a big K. They're thinking the kingdom of Israel is what they were thinking. And so they still didn't understand that. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. I want to encourage us right here with this. Sometimes we get a little really caught up. We just preached for over a year, went through on Wednesday nights. Over a year we spent going through end times prophecy, going through the book of Revelation. Folks, sometimes we can get so caught up in that stuff that we get our eyes off of the things that, are, that, are, that are matter right now. Our relationships, our witnessing to other people, far more important than what's going to happen you know, after, the, after the rapture and, and being able to timeline out all of the end times events. This is a whole lot more important. It's what God's told us to do right now. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus even tells them, it's not for you to know times and, or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, and here's what he says is important. That's not important. That's not for you to worry about. Here's what is. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay? So listen, for 33 and a half years, the crown had been behind the Lord and the cross was before him. Now, the cross was behind him, and the crown was before him. How all of heaven must have anticipated his return. After the resurrection, can you imagine the angels that had guarded the tomb? They've gone back into heaven. They're telling every angel up there the story of how the guards fell out as dead and how those were shocked when, when the stone rolled away. And they told the story of the ladies that came. And then as, as John came and ran, those that ran and looked into the tomb, they've told those stories again and again and again. And they're telling those in this excited anticipation that the Lord's going to be back up here soon. He's going to be up here soon. 
They, they, were t- they told the stories. And you have to imagine that perhaps the whole angelic host, the whole host of heaven, they were perched on heaven's wall looking for his homecoming. He's got to be coming. He's resurrected. He's got to be coming. He's coming back. They didn't know the plan. I don't believe they knew the plan of what God's plan was, what Christ was going to do. So the hours passed. The days passed. And then the weeks passed, and the Lord still hasn't ascended back to heaven. One week goes by, two weeks, three, four, five. For 40 days, he delayed his return. And now understand, Jesus desired to go home. He desired to go back and be with the Father, to go back and to be in heaven. He had talked about it leading up to his crucifixion, John chapter 13, 33. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. John 16, uh, 17, he says, I go to the Father. John 14, 2, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. He had talked about where he was going. You could see, there was a, an anticipation in the Lord. I know what I'm going to go through, but I'm going to rise and I'm going to rise and I'm going to go back and I'm going to be with the Father. So he tarried. He tarried. He waited. He, his, his return back home, he waited. Coming and going. He was appearing and disappearing. Other people saw him. Over 500 witnesses at one time saw him resurrected. He had work to do. The upper room at that time, after his, 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 his crucifixion and even after the resurrection, it became the gathering place. It became the place that those came, the, the believers, his followers, they gathered together. It became a home away from home for the, the disciples. Then the Lord's mother would have joined them. Surely John would have brought her into the group as well. And, 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 and in time, the Lord's half-brothers, they, they believers at long last, they would have come in. They quietly come in and took their place in, in, in the group there among the disciples. And you know, if you, you think about it, I tell you to read it in color. So read it in color and think about this for a second. You can imagine Peter, right? What's going to happen when a group of people show up with Peter? Peter's going to play host to the whole group. And you can see him. He says, you know, it was, it was here that we observed the last Passover. Right here is where we observed the last Passover. And the Lord, he inaugurated the new feast of, uh, 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 of remembrance right here. That's what he, he did. And you know, we were here and I sat, I sat here. I sat right there. The Lord was here. And see, John, John was right next to him there. And I was there. And Judas, that, that traitor, he sat over here. That's where, that's where everybody sat. And he said, we sang. We sang. And, you know, I didn't feel like singing. Everything the Lord was saying and what was going on, I didn't feel like say, singing. But the Lord, he sang as though there was nothing on his mind at all. He sang as though there was no trouble in the world. And Judas, even that traitor, he sang. You know, he sang, and, 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 and he sang right along with us, right up to the point where he got up and he left the room. And we all thought that, 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 that when he got up, that he was going to give something to the poor. And, and that wall, the wall over there, that, that's where the Lord, man, he came right through the wall, right there. He came right through the wall. He, he came through there, and, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was there that he appeared to us when he first visited with us on that resurrection day. We thought he was a ghost. But, but then, then he sat down, he sat down, he sat down right there. He sat down there and he ate with us. He ate some honey and some fish and he talked with us. And then he just disappeared. And you know, it kind of shocked us, kind of shocked us. But we got used to that as the days went on and it, and it happened again and again. We kind of got used to that. Can you hear that? You can see Peter as he's telling those who come in, in that upper room. More and more people arrived. 
Those that, whose, whose lives had been touched and had been changed and impacted by Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Till at, at, at the last, there were about 120 in all that were in the room. Surely Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were there. And the formerly blind Bartimaeus, he would have been there. And Martha and Mary and Lazarus, surely they would have been there. And perhaps even Zacharias. I, I, I'm not Zacharias, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus. Zacharias maybe, but I'm sure there were some Zacharias in there. But Zacchaeus would have been there. What, a, what if old, what if old um, uh, Malchus, was it Malchus whose ear was knocked off? What if old Malchus had come to faith? Maybe, maybe, he, was, maybe he was even there. But the Lord tarried, coming and going, appearing and disappearing. And so you ask the question then, the Lord's work was completed. And, and he, was, he, was, he was resurrected, and yet he doesn't immediately ascend back to heaven. Why? Why? Why did he delay so long his return to heaven where he was so eager to go home? Because there are four things that the disciples needed. There were four things, and we're going to look at those this morning. They needed enlistment, they needed encouragement, they needed enlightenment, and they needed enablement. And we're going to look at those things. He stayed. He spent those 40 days here to give them the things that they needed to do the work that he was calling them to. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning and for, for the blessing of being in your house. Uh, it's a special day, Lord. We say often that uh, today is Resurrection Sunday because it is. That's why we're here. And it's not just Resurrection Sunday that comes once a year that we remember uh, your body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us and that you died and you were buried and you rose again. Lord, it's every day that we remember the gospel, that we remember what you did for us. We, we are here because you did rise from the dead. And so we come to worship a risen Savior this morning, our risen Savior. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. And Lord, this morning we look at uh, what you did with those disciples over that 40-day period. Why you lingered, why you tarried, why you didn't immediately go away. There were some things that you had to do. Some more, while the work was finished of salvation, the work of launching the church and, and your world vision, your world mission was just beginning. And the disciples, like we, your disciples today, they needed you. They needed these things from you. So Lord, as we look at these, help us to not only see what they needed then, but to see what we need today. And, and may we, Lord, may we answer the call that you have put upon our lives to do what it is you've called us to do. Bless now in, your, in this message, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing they needed was enlistment. Now, with the Great Commission, Jesus made known to the disciples his passion. Well, his passion. Not When I say passion, sometimes we think about his suffering. I'm not talking about his suffering. I'm talking about his passion. What was he passionate about? And so think about it. First and foremost, the disciples were Jews. They had been raised in Jewish tradition. Their world centered around the Jewish temple. They had been raised in local synagogues. And their, their, their supreme authority was the Sanhedrin. So as far as we know, none of them, none of the disciples had ever even traveled outside their own homeland. And it was a small homeland. Some of us have been over there. Israel is not a big nation. What would have been their homeland at that time? It was not a big area. And as far as we know, they had never ventured outside of their homeland. They'd traveled from north and south within the country, but never outside of it. The disciples lived in Galilee, and they'd certainly been exposed to travelers from all over the world. But, but the Jews, as, as, as a nature, they were a suspicious people. 
They would have been suspicious of strangers. They would have separated mostly from them. And their dietary laws pretty much cut them off from the rest of the world. And as we study the Gospels and we see the life of Jesus, even Jesus' interaction with Gentiles was few and far between. That wasn't, that wasn't his, his mission at that time. So understand this, with, with their Jewish backgrounds, it was highly unlikely that the disciples would have had much of a world vision, a gospel vision. They would not have had that because of, of, of just where they had been. Now, the same can be said of many Christians in America today. You know, where, where we are, man, we're Geneva, right? It, it could be, well, I've been, I grew up in Geneva. I mean, I've never gone outside Geneva. I'm Geneva. You know, that's what I am. It's what, you know, or, or, or I'm Floridian. I don't get out of Florida. That's where I'm at. Or I'm, you know, wherever it is. We can, we can become very much like that ourselves. The same thing could be said that we've not really gotten outside of, of ourselves or our little stomping ground to do. And, and maybe we don't have that world vision. But that is exactly what they needed and what Jesus was enlisting them to do. They had to be enlisted for his vision of global outreach. And that's what he wanted them to do. He didn't want them to hunker down and just stay there forever. He had a vision for them for global outreach. He said, you shall be witness to, to witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. When we go and we look at the, the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of what? Of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, uh, I am with you how often? Always. Always. Even to the end of the age. So what the Lord said is he said, here's the Great Commission kind of summed up. Be my witnesses to the end of the earth till the end of the age. You can sum it up like that. That's what he told us to do. You be my witnesses and you go to the end of the earth and you go to the end of the days. Whether it's the the end of days and and I come back or it's it's the end of your days. Whatever it is, you go. You go to the end of the earth till the end of the days. And so Jesus enlisted the disciples for a mission to all mankind, not just to their neighbor. Now, is it important that I reach my neighbor? Absolutely, it's important I reach my neighbor. It's important we do that. Is it, is it, but, but it wasn't just to the neighbor, and it wasn't just to fellow countrymen, but to all mankind. That was the, the mission that God gave to the disciples. That's what Christ was enlisting the disciples to do. And listen, as Jesus ascended, as he ascended, as he had laid out these things to, to, to the disciples, and he had given them all this, and as he is ascending... Look, as Jesus ascended back into heaven, he saw in his mind, think of this, he saw in his mind the Ethiopian eunuch. He saw the Philippian jailer. He saw Lydia worshiping by the river. He saw the man from Macedonia calling for help. He saw the multitudes of future believers in Samaria and Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Sardis and Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Corinth and Athens and Rome and Europe and Asia. And, and, and Africa and the Americas, he saw that. He saw you and he saw me right. 2,000 years ago. As he ascended and he's sending them out to share the gospel, he sees us today. And these disciples, these disciples that were there then, they needed enlisting. They needed to be drawn into his mission. All through the years from that day to, to till today, Christians have needed enlisting. 
They've needed to be drawn into this mission, and never more so than today, folks. On that day, Jesus saw the billions today in need of the great message, the great, the great message, the gospel message. 2,000 years later, listen to this, 2,000 years later, of the 3,000, I'm sorry, the 7,378 spoken languages, and I hope I've got this right. Todd was helping with this, and I hope I, I, hope I passed on the right information here. 7,378 spoken languages. There are still today 3,758 with not a single page of Scripture in their own language. So 37, that's 64, 65. That, that's less than half of the known languages that, have, that, have, that do not have any Scripture at all in their own language. Today we're losing the battle for the world simply due to population explosion. We, we shared some of this Wednesday night. Um, 1804. In 1804, we finally hit the billion-person mark on earth. 1804. By 1900, population had grown to 1.6 billion worldwide. 1.6 billion. Now, 1.6 billion, 1900. Let's fast forward. I'm going to give you some relevant things for me. 1968. Put it in my terms. 1968. The year I was born, we had 3.55 billion people on the face of the earth. That means, that means about 2 billion people added in, in those uh, 68 years. About 2 billion people. From 68 to 86, from the time I was born till the time I graduated, the population went from 3.5 billion to right at 5 billion. In, in just those 18 years. From 1986 to the year 2000, we went from right at 5 billion to 6.14 billion. That's, that was 14 year period. Now, now from 2000 at 6.14 billion to today, we've just topped over the 8 billion. If you look at certain calculators, we're over 8 billion now. That's 4.5 billion people on, on earth in my lifetime. It took till 1804 to get to 1 billion. And simply in the last 55 years, we're, we're, we're at 4.5 billion people added. Folks, we're, we're not keeping up. And you look at that and you go, how could we keep up? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, is it possible? Larry Burkett seemed to think so. Larry Burkett said years ago, said of every Christian, and I'm not getting on a tithing thing here, but I'm going to get on a tithing thing here. Uh, Larry Burkett said if every Christian would simply tithe, he said because the average giving right now, average among what all is given by, divided by the number of Christians is around, well, then, 25 years ago probably, was like 3% or less than 3% maybe is what was given. He said if every Christian simply tithed, We'd have, we'd have the money to do what needs to be done with, with global missions. We could fund the work. Everything that was needed could be done. Um, but we're, we're behind, folks. And, and truth is that it's not going to be accomplished in our day. See, the, the Lord's return is imminent. Amen? Amen. It's imminent. And uh, he's going to rapture the church. We're going to go out of here. And then God's going to save and seal and send out 144,000 Jewish evangelists to do the job that we haven't done, the job that we haven't finished. That wasn't, you know, God didn't put us here to complete this and fulfill it, and then he would come back. That was never the plan. 
But we are to do everything we can do now. Everything we can do now. As we've been studying through Revelation, um, I understand people can be saved during the tribulation. I believe we're going out before the tribulation. The church is going to be gone. But I don't want anybody to have to go through the tribulation. Do you know anybody that you just go, no, it'd be good for them. It'd be good for them. You know, it'll stretch them a little bit. It'll grow them. That would be a good thing. I don't want anybody to go through that. So so we need to do all we can to reach them. 144,000 of these Jewish evangelists are going to be sent out. So imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls turned loose on this world. There is going to be an outpouring that God's going to do in that time that is, maybe, it wouldn't compare. I don't think it'll compare. I think what's going to be done is going to be so incredible. I don't, we've never seen anything like it. As they go around and they're witnessing to all of the world, these Jewish, these Jewish evangelists. So the job of, of world evangelism is harder today than perhaps it's been at any time in the last 2,000 years. Nationalism worldwide is on the rise, and, and, and the doors into countries are closing to missionaries. Those who watch those things and see those things, Todd probably sees this more. Uh, the countries are closing their doors. You can't go in as a missionary. You got to get some non-governmental organization that you got to be involved with, and you got to go in some, under some pretense. We're running a business. We're we're doing English as a second language. We're running a coffee shop. Whatever it may be, we're doing this to get in so that we can do the work of of, of missions in there. But nationalism in those countries all around the world is shutting that down. Laws are being passed against foreign missionaries. National who profess faith in Christ are facing increased persecution and martyrdom. Christians are being slayed all over the world, folks. Every day, Christians are being murdered. We sit here and we don't even know what's going on. Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism are tightening their grasp on their, their, their own lost billions that they have under their control. They're tightening their grasp as well as expanding their reach. You know, you look at the fundamental Islamic presence in many parts of the world today. It, it, it's, it's ever in, in growing, ever increasing. These false religions are even on the rise in America. There are places, this is crazy to me, that there are places in America that are uh, uh, no-go areas. I mean, you don't, you don't go in that area. And they basically are setting up their own laws within those areas. That's ridiculous. But that's what's going on. The doors that were open a couple of decades ago into communist Russia, into communist China, those doors are closing, if not closed already, to get into those countries. Now, here's our problem today, though. Most Americans have little to no interest in what's going on outside of our own country. We just, we just don't care. The amount of money spent on foreign missions is embarrassingly low compared to things like gambling and alcohol, tobacco, and even dog food. I, that hits home. A little dog, we could fund a whole lot of missions if we didn't have that little dog, Gina. I'm, go, I'm going in the dog house. The locks may be changed before I get back from this trip. Uh, it, don't make me choose, she's saying. Don't make me choose. You wouldn't like my choice. <laughs> Folks, we need, we need enlistment. We today need enlistment. We need to get a fresh vision for Jesus' passion for the untold millions that are still untold. We, we need to get that. It took a little time, but, but the early church... They, 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 they took their enlistment. They, they got that. They took it seriously. And, and they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. 
And this enlistment, folks, it's for every believer. Every believer. For us to say, well, I'm saved, but I'm not called to do that. Then here's the deal. The two are locked together. If you are saved, you are called. If you are saved, if you're born again, you are absolutely called to share the gospel. You're absolutely called to that. And so are you doing what God commanded us all to do? Are you going and making disciples? Number two, they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement. So Jesus made known to them his presence. They need to be encouraged. Well, what could be more encouraging than the presence of God in their life, the presence of the Lord Jesus? So evangelizing the world is an impossible task without his presence. Amen? Amen. I mean, it just is. It's impossible without his presence in our life. So throughout those 40 days following his resurrection, Jesus made it clear to his disciples and to us today that they, they weren't being abandoned. He had told them, you know, here's the deal. He never expected them to just go it alone. Hey, you know, I taught you while I was here. I'm risen now. I've finished my work. I'm out of here. You guys go figure it out. That wasn't what he did. He didn't expect them to go it alone. He doesn't expect us to go it alone. John 14, 8, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And the Lord's many post-resurrection appearances must have been very reassuring to them. Can you imagine every time they saw him again, they were just, it just reinforced their, their faith and their conviction, and their commitment. Matthew 28, 20 again. Think of that verse. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That statement alone ought to encourage and inspire and motivate us every day in everything that we do. We ought, to be, we ought to be encouraged by that. We ought to be inspired by that. It ought to motivate us. Because I am with you always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Folks, everywhere we go, every day when we go, He is with us. He's never left. He never leaves us. He's never forsakes us. He's always there with us. And we go, man, I, I don't know if I can do this. Yes, you can do it. Because He's with you. You're not going it alone. They needed to be encouraged. So in verse 3, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. He showed again and again and again that he, that he was alive. He showed himself to so many, and they, and they, and they saw it, and they, man, they were all in at that point. Folks, we don't, we don't preach some creed. We don't preach a creed. We preach a living Savior. We preach the living Christ. Amen? We don't preach some myth or make-believe. We preach hard, solid facts. Jesus Christ is a real person. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was buried, and he rose again. And these are real facts about Jesus, as real as the fact that Julius Caesar conquered Britain. People would would never question that. It's a proven fact of history. Christ his resurrection, his, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. They're solid facts. But here's the deal. Before we can make him real to anyone else, he must be very, very real to us. Can't, you're not going to go out and share something to, with others that's not real to you. For Mary Magdalene, he simply spoke her name. Remember when he, he just said Mary, and she knew. For Thomas... The Lord challenged Thomas with his own doubting words. Come on, Thomas, put your hands in my, put your fingers in here. Put your hand in my side, Thomas, big mouth. Come on. You talking big? Come on now, put your hand, thrust your hand in my side. I mean, that's what he said, kind of vulgar like. Unless I can put my hands in, in the nail prints of his hand, thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. The Lord said, Come on, here, here, Thomas. 
Thomas believed. For the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it was, it was through a thorough exposition of, of the Scriptures showing Himself to them. And then, he, and then He opened their understanding when they were sitting there together and He gave thanks and He broke the bread and, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he blessed it and broke the bread and He opened their eyes. What was it for you? What was it for you? Somehow He made Himself real to you. And, he, and it was just to you and it was just for you. I, I, that's why I love the testimonies. I ask for testimonies a lot of times on Wednesday nights. I want to hear, hear how you got saved. Because everybody's story is different. They're different. It's, 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 it's gonna, man, the Lord does these things different. The way He revealed Himself to you may be totally different than the way He revealed Himself to me. I love to hear that. By the time Jesus was through with the, the disciples, they had an unshakable conviction of the reality of his resurrection and his return. They were convinced. Nothing, no one, and no threat could shake them of these convictions. And in that reality, they went out and changed the world. Is the reality of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that real to you today? As a, as a believer, you go, I believe. But is it, is it, is it real? Is that just lip service? Are you truly at your heart of hearts? Do you believe that? Are you convicted of that? Are, are, you, are, you, are you all in with that? Does the reality of His promised presence encourage you today? Because it should. It should, it should encourage you. It should empower you. Number three, they, they needed to be enlightened. They needed enlightenment. So the Lord has shared His passion. He'd shared what he wanted them to do. He'd shared with them his presence, encouraging them. And so now Jesus has made known to them his plan. They needed to know what it is he wanted them to do. And it's very simple here what he says do. He didn't, he didn't just say, well, you guys ought to know what to do by now. Go get at it. He, he didn't do that. He, he enlightened them with very simple and very clear instructions. Look at verse 8 again. He says, you... He's speaking to his followers, his disciples. You, my followers, shall be witnesses. That, that word witness is to witness. Is to, it is to speak. It is to share of, of what you've seen. It's to voice that, what you know. It also means martyr or record. So you're a record of what went on. So you're to voice that. That's what it is to be a witness. We're to go and make known what we know. That's ultimately what it is. We're to go. You, my followers, are to go and be a witness for me. You'll be my witness to, uh, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's what he said. He said, you begin in your own community. You begin at Jerusalem. You begin where you are, where you live, and, and, and you're to be my witness there. Then you reach out into your own country. You reach your Judea. You evangelize your own country, city by city, village by village, state by state. Then, then you evangelize your Samaria. You reach out to your own continent. It's ever expanding out. He says you cross the, the nearest national border and you evangelize the nearest foreign culture, the one with which you're the most familiar. For us, I mean, it's simple. We jump over to the Caribbean. We, we go into Canada. We go into Mexico. We, we, we expand into South America. That's, that's the, in our own continent there. And then as each new convert is discipled, they too begin the same process until finally the, 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 you reach the uttermost parts of the earth. It's just to continue reaching out and reaching out and going further, further out. Folks, we're behind in doing the job God's called us to do. We're behind. Jesus gave us a mission, and he gave us the strategy 
And all we must do is impl implement it. Just implement what he, what he said to do. That's all we got to do. But the last thing that Jesus needed to do was this. Because what they needed and what we need is this. They needed enablement. They needed to be enabled. So Jesus made known to them and made available to them his power. His power. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. If you look at Pentecost, Peter stood up, he began to preach. He didn't even finish what he, was, what he was, had to say, and 3,000 people were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the fellowship. 3,000 people. This is the same guy that not long before was just hunkered down in the upper room, scared to death, and now he's out preaching, not concerned a bit for his life, not concerned a bit about the crowd there or anything. He's just preaching the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the fellowship. Now listen, that wasn't Peter's power. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look back in the upper room before, before Pentecost, you look back up in there, verse 4, we see this, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So we see this, this early gathering. They loved the Lord and they were living in obedience to the will of God. The Lord told them to remain there in Jerusalem, and so they were there in Jerusalem. They were in happy fellowship with one another. They had a good fellowship. Everybody got along good. They were sharing meals and all this stuff. They were making decisions related to the gathering. Everything they were was collective as a group. They were, they were looking out for each other. They were giving themselves over to prayer. They were searching the Scriptures. They were exhorting one another, and they were rejoicing in the risen Savior. But here's the deal. They were powerless to get out and to witness. They were doing everything else right, but they were hunkered down, scared to death, weren't going outside of themselves or out of that upper room. They were right there. Look at most churches today. They meet to enjoy good fellowship and preach and pray and exhort, but nothing happens. Nothing happens. Why? Well, the reason is simple. Because we can no more convert a soul than we can create a star. Some people have this idea that I'm going to go out and I'm going to win somebody. No, we're called to go out and to share truth. But it's not my job to convert anybody. But if I don't go and do my job to share the gospel, they may not be converted. Because the Lord works through us. He works through people, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the change in someone's heart. And only the Holy Spirit can make Christ real to us, and only the Holy Spirit can make Christ real to someone else. You look back at Luke 24, 10. It was, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now, they had seen the risen Savior. They saw him, and they go back to the other apostles. They go to the apostles, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. These were people they cared very much about. Oh, Mary Magdalene, she's just a liar. That wasn't what they thought. They didn't think Mary was a liar. They wouldn't have thought that way at all. And yet she comes up and tells them, we saw Jesus. He's alive. They didn't believe it. We probably wouldn't either. Mark 16, 12, speaking of those that were those that were on the road to Emmaus. After that, he appeared to another form, in another form to two of them, and they walked and went into the country, and they went and, told, uh, went and told it to the rest. So when they realized this was Jesus, they went back. They went back to Jerusalem. They went in the room, and they told everybody. And it says, but they did not believe them either. 
The disciples didn't believe that. John 20, 24. Thomas, again, Thomas, who, who, who was, he wasn't there when Jesus came and, and the other disciples then, they're, they're, they told to him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It didn't matter what they were told. It didn't matter how much they trusted somebody else or, or, or thought of them. They, they just could not believe that. But ultimately, they all came face to face with the resurrected Christ. And when they came face to face with the resurrected Christ, and they ultimately believed, but they still had no power to witness. And Acts chapter four, verse one, chapter one, verse four says, "And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You have heard from me." Once the Holy Spirit came, they were changed. They went out witnessing in the power. Of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that came and gave them the power to do what needed to be done. They couldn't do it in their own. Folks, that's why we fail so often is that we try to do things in our power, our own power. We, we, we plan stuff and we get along in the planning process and we go, oh, we go, Lord, would you bless that? Instead of getting the Lord involved in it from the start. That's one of the things we try diligently to do is pray through things, not get way down the road and go, oh, man, you know what? We ought to pray about this. No, we we want to bathe it in prayer up front. We want God's leading. We don't want God to just jump on board with what we want to do. That's a surefire way to fail, amen? That's not what we want to do. We want the Lord in that. And so when the Lord comes, the Lord brings the power that we need. And so as we, as we come now, I'm going to wrap this up here in just, just a few moments. Pastor Aaron, you, you can come forward. and Jim, here's the thing. They, the Lord told them to wait. I'm sending, I'm sending the promise of the Father. You wait there in Jerusalem. Folks, he's not telling us to wait today. He's not telling us to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because the Holy Spirit has already come. The Holy Spirit is here. He makes himself available to us Listen, as we make ourselves available to Him. Now, I'm not saying it means He comes on you. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit is already in us. If you've been saved, you, the, the Holy Spirit is already there. But the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the power, we're to walk in the Spirit, right? The Scripture tells us to walk in the Spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It means we have to be filled. It's, a, it's a, like a recharging. We have to walk in the Spirit. It's, uh, the, the Spirit is in us already. Our job is to make sure that we're not grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there's ways that we, we live our lives that we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We say, I'm, I'm all spiritual and I'm all good, but we got this secret sin over here. Or we got, we got something that we won't let go. Or we're, we're still bitter with somebody and we won't forgive. We won't let that go. Whatever it may be. And we, and we, and we grieve the Holy Spirit or we quench the Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit is working in our heart, in our life, and He's trying to move us to something, and we resist the Holy Spirit. But for us, we just simply have to make ourselves available to Him. Not quench the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit, not resist the Spirit. We need to claim the available filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's all, we've, if you're born again, you've already been baptized of the Spirit. There's not a second baptism. We've just got through all of that. Y'all understand that. We're not waiting to have this second filling of the Spirit. No, you've been filled. If you are born again, you have been baptized of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. You already have the gift of the Spirit. The gift that He wants to give you has been imparted to you. You have those things. 
We're not instructed to, to wait for Him. Church, He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to get outside ourselves, to surrender to Him, and to say, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Lead me. Show me. And it could be as simple as running into someone at a convenience store. It's not hard to get a conversation started. It's really not. It can start right next door. Your neighbor, your co-worker. I'm going to be witnessing you tomorrow. You'll be witnessing to me tomorrow. Your family, friends. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about this for this trip. I've been thinking about, Lord, when I, when I go to the airport, I want to be intentional with every step of that. And I want to be, I want to be you, you say, Lord, bring somebody in my path to witness to. And then you walk around with your head in the clouds. That doesn't do any good. Lord, show me what you want me to do. Help me to see what it is you want me to see. And as we're attentive to that, as we look for that, He's going to bring things in your path. Am I going to be sensitive to, to, to follow that? And, and maybe the person I'll sit next to on the plane, maybe the door will be open to have a conversation, a spiritual conversation with them. Maybe while I'm waiting to, you know, to pick up my U-Haul truck tomorrow, I'll, I'll have a chance to witness to the guy at the counter. But, but it's being intentional with that. Not going through life aloofly. But, Lord, show me. Fill me, Lord. Give me power to speak your word. Not my power, not my strength, not my wisdom. Yours, if we just surrender to that. You know, folks, he, he's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to seek cleansing and to genuinely yield ourselves to Him and to accept the feeling that He wants to do, the feeling. And then we'll, then we'll have all that the disciples had at Pentecost. We'll have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us and speaking through us. All that we need to do, all that we need to be witnesses for Him. When the Lord saved us, He enlisted us into His work. He enlisted us. Folks, we have His Word. He is, he's encouraged us. The Holy Spirit never leaves us nor forsakes us. We, we're encouraged. We've been enlightened. We know what it is He wants us to do. And the plan is simple. We don't have to make it complicated. It's a very simple plan the Lord gave us because He knew we're sheep. Here's a very simple plan. Go and make disciples of all nations. He, he, he's enlightened us and He's enabled us with the Holy Spirit. The fact is, it's not really an enlistment. If you're a believer, you've been drafted. You've been drafted. And so the question is, are you going to respond and, and go do your duty? Or are you going to be a draft dodger? Think about that. We've had some presidents that were draft dodgers. You think they ought to be leading? I don't think so. I don't want a draft dodger. I don't want to be a draft dodger. I want to do what God's called me to do. And I hope that's what you want as well. As we, as we really launch our mission conference, we've really launched it today. I wanted a message that would kind of turn our hearts to what God wants us to do. And over this next week, I hope you'll pray. And, and as we go through the mission conference, that you'll pray. And you'll, you'll come anticipating to hear from God. That you'll let Him speak to your heart and show you what it is. But you know what? This morning, maybe for us this morning, 
It's just a matter of going, Lord, I, I've got this in my life. I need to get that straightened out. Lord, I need to, I need to, I need, you know what, Lord, I just have not totally submitted myself to you. I've not made myself available to you. Yeah, I love you, Lord. Yeah, I, I do all the things. I'm faithful to church. I do this, that, and the other. But I really haven't just surrendered myself to what it is you really want me to do. And that's for us to be witnesses of him everywhere we go. So this morning, our altar, our altar is going to be open here in just a moment. Pastor Aaron's going to lead us. We're going to remain seated today. I want you to just sit there. I want you to be in an attitude of prayer. But